Amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here at Soma Northwest. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, I know many of you are getting ready to head out maybe on fall break adventures and rest time and, and all of that. Um, before we get into our, our scripture this morning, I just want to take a minute and pause. Um, I, I know probably a lot of you have been following just the news surrounding Supreme Court nomination and all of this, and this is not any kind of a political thing uh, this morning. This cuts across, you know, whatever party you're a part of, whatever, you know, political ideology you subscribe to. I just feel a heaviness, uh, and I've felt that over the last few weeks, um, just watching uh, the anger uh, and the division, um, and uh, just a lot of the loud, loud voices uh, surrounding all of this. Um, and this is bigger than just this one man uh, and his circumstances. I just think uh, what I've been feeling just speaks to a larger uh, reality, is that we are living in a world that is extremely, extremely broken. And it's hard to go uh, and to look in any corner of our culture and our society and not see the effects of sin, uh, the effects of our own personal uh, choices that hurt and, uh, and, and cause pain to other people, to not understand the reality that there is an enemy that literally wants to steal and to kill and to destroy us. Um, and so, again, wherever you fall politically and whatever even just your thoughts are on this whole situation, I have just, uh, and my wife and, and others of you that I've talked to, we've just felt a heaviness over the last few weeks. And so I just want to pause, and I just want to go before the Lord here for a minute and just pray on behalf of our country, um, on behalf of um, uh, men and women who uh, are experiencing a deep amount of pain and hurt and just continual baggage from abuse uh, from people who have taken advantage of them uh, in their lives. And I just want to ask that the Lord uh, makes us a community of life and a community of peace in the midst of this brokenness and this chaos and just this anger and division um, that we experience. So would you pray with me? God, we acknowledge before we do anything else this morning that you are God and that we're not, and that we have no right to question you. Uh, we have no right to bring um, any accusation against you and against how uh, you have uh, done things, what you're allowing or causing to happen. Um, but in the midst of that, God, we also cry out to you and we acknowledge that things are not the way that it should be. That this world, um, that the life that we live, the things that we experience are not what you intended for us. And God, I take comfort in opening up the pages of Scripture and seeing time after time after time the writers 
crying out and saying, where are you, God? Crying out and saying, why is this happening? Crying out and acknowledging the pain and the sorrow and the grief and the hurt and just the oppression that comes with living in this world. God, I acknowledge that there are people in this room who have experienced emotional abuse, sexual abuse, trauma that is just horrific, pain that they still carry. And God, I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why this happens. I don't know why you cause it. I don't know why you allow it. I don't know why it exists and you let it exist. But God, I acknowledge that it does. And we cry out and we ask for your deliverance. We ask for uh, your salvation. We ask that your peace would come to those of us in this room this morning who are hurting. Lord, I pray that we would be a community of peace, that as you are transforming us by your power and by your grace, that we would also be a transforming presence to this community that what we experience in our relationship with you, what we have in our relationship with each other would truly be something where people can look and say, I know what's God, what God is like because I know these people. And so, Lord, I pray for healing for folks here this morning, and I pray that we would be agents of your healing in this broken world, in this divisive world, in a world that is just chaotic because of the enemy and because of his power and his control. But God, we know that you are greater than that. And we praise you for that and we take comfort in that. And we ask for your justice and for your righteousness to reign in us and to reign through us and that you would transform hearts and minds and bodies and lives and culture and systems right here in our neighborhood, in our city, in this country, and in this world. And we pray that with hope, knowing that you are able to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there's one thing over the last month... Um, that I've come to realize in uh, just living my own life, but also uh, living life with you all, talking with you all, it is that we are very busy and very tired people. Can anybody relate to that? And we're busy and we're tired because of the dizzying pace of our life. Um, if I just take a a, an, a time audit, so to speak, of the way that I spend my time week after week after week, 99% of the things that I do are good things. They're things that I enjoy. There are people around people that I enjoy, my family, but they're a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of things a lot of commitments, a lot of responsibilities, a lot of opportunities to take advantage of. And as I've talked with many of you and as I watch many of your lives, I know that you're living in that same reality. 
that you are being pulled in a lot of different directions. You have a job that requires a lot of you, a lot of your time, a lot of your energy, a lot of your mental space devoted to your job. You have family. You have kids that are involved in a lot of different activities, things at school, sports, friends that you're trying to get them connected with. You're being pulled in a lot of different uh, uh, directions relationally. You probably have a lot of different uh, social circles that you're a part of. You have people at work that you socialize with. You have people in your neighborhood that you socialize with. You have people here at church that you're involved with. We are just being pulled in a lot of different directions, and they're good things. And then when you add on the difficult things, Seasons of life that are trying. Seasons of life that push us to the margins emotionally and even spiritually. Uh, circumstances that we don't expect, that are out of our control, that just come out of nowhere and, and require uh, financial things that we didn't plan for. Emotional uh, capacity that we don't have. Uh, spiritual resources that are running dry. You add those things in it. And bottom line, whether our life is generally good or whether you think your life is generally bad and hard, across the board, we all have a lot of things that are going on. We are being pulled in a lot of different directions. We are tired people. We are weary people. We are people that live with a significant amount of burdens and responsibilities. And then we show up here on Sunday morning. We come to our missional community groups. We go to our discipleship groups. We are in relationships with each other. And we talk about the kingdom of God being here. And it's like, are you serious? In the midst of everything else that we have going on, in the midst of our lives that are busy, that require a lot out of us, we are talking about and calling each other to the reality that the kingdom of God is not something that we are just sitting down and waiting for to happen in the future, but the kingdom of God is here now. It's a reality that is now. It's an invitation from Jesus to a life with God under the rule of God, that the sovereign creator God shapes and forms us in our whole person, the way that we think, the way that we feel, the choices that we make, the things that we do with our body, the way that we relate to people around us. And we look at our lives, and it's like in the midst of our of chaos, in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of having to deal with our own brokenness and the brokenness that's in the world, it's like we, are, we, we look at those fruits of the Spirit, lives that are marked with love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we're like, yes, that's the kind of person that I want to be. That's the kind of person and the kind of life that I want to experience. I don't want to be a pinball just bouncing around and careening off of the different things that are going on in our lives. We look at this invitation from Jesus to come and to experience life and to experience these things, to know God, to live the life that God has desired for us. And yet we look at our lives and we say, is that really possible? I want it. 
that's the kind of person I want to be. That's the kind of life I want to have in the midst of an angry, chaotic, exhausting world. That is the kind of life that I want. But we run into a problem. And it's not just a Christian problem. I think it's a human problem. And the problem is this, that we want what is right and what is good and what God says is important. But we aren't willing to commit to the kind of life that will produce what is right and what is good and what God says is important and what God says will lead us to being people like this, people that are marked by his love and his peace, people who truly experience life with God under God's rule. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9? If you're using one of the Bibles around, well, we don't have the page number. So 557, if you're using one of the Bibles around you. And if you don't have a Bible, physical copy of the Bible, feel free to take that with you this morning. We'd love for you to have that. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to start here. And then I'm going to jump over to another letter here in a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 24. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to people living in the city of Corinth. And he writes this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul was a big fan of using athletic metaphors to talk about the Christian life. If you read any of his letters, he, he, they're littered with these metaphors that refer to athletic competition. Uh, Paul was uh, around it, obviously. He was in cities where it was a big part of culture. And here in this passage, he refers to a runner to an athlete, to a boxer. And he's writing with this, these metaphors, using these metaphors to people who would have really understood this. The city of Corinth hosted what was called the Isthmian Games. And it was a smaller scale, like Olympic Games. If you remember, if you're old enough, you remember the Pan American Games. Indianapolis hosted those back in the 80s and, and 90s. Smaller scale. They would happen the year before the Olympic Games. They would happen the year after the Olympic Games. And they were hosted in the city of Corinth. And athletes would come from all around the Roman Empire to compete in these games. And they had things like chariot races and foot races and wrestling matches and, and boxing matches. 
And all of this was a huge part of the culture of Corinth. And they took civic pride in hosting these games. And so Paul is talking about the Christian life. He's talking specifically about his own life and his own relationship with God. And he uses these athletic metaphors to get a point across. He says there's a goal. There is a desired outcome that each of these athletes have as they compete. It's to win the prize. And in that day, it was a victor's wreath. It was a, it was, it was a, a, a crown that wrapped around the head made of leaves. And each one, it was like the gold medal of that day. And each athlete competing in their respective sport had that as their goal. That's what they were looking forward to. That's what they were competing for. He says the runners run to win. Athletes are self-controlled so that they can win. Boxers make contact with a literal person, and they're not out there just swinging aimlessly because they want to win. The point that Paul is making here is with an athlete, intentionality and purpose is part of who they are. They want to win. Their eyes, they have a singular focus on that pride, and they do whatever it takes to make sure that they can get to that prize, that they win that prize. So you know where Paul's going here, right? He says, in the Christian life, there is a reward for being faithful to God's calling. And he doesn't say what that reward is here, but he says, God has called me to a specific life, and I am going to do everything that is physically possible, that is humanly possible to put myself in the path to win that prize. We don't know what that prize was, but we know it's not heaven, right? Paul was very clear in other places. We don't earn heaven. We don't work hard to get to heaven. So what Paul is saying here is God has called me specifically to be an apostle, to take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And he says here, I want to run my race I want to fight this fight. I want to do whatever it takes, and I will do whatever it takes to be faithful to that calling that God has placed on my life so that I will be rewarded by Jesus Christ. Faithfulness, working hard, he says, disciplining his body. I'm doing whatever it takes to be faithful to this calling. Will you turn... uh, Take a right in your Bible and turn over a few pages to the letter of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Obviously, Paul writing a letter to a guy named Timothy. It's a younger guy, a guy that he had mentored, a guy who was now uh, uh, leading and shepherding a church in the city of Ephesus. And Paul writes this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 7. He says this, he encourages Timothy with this, Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness 
is of value in every way as it holds the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and we strive. We work hard. We put effort towards it because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Paul says to Timothy here, it's easy to get distracted. God has called Timothy to a certain kind of life. God has called Timothy to do a specific thing. And Paul says, it's easy for you to get distracted with things that don't matter. He says these these irreverent, these silly myths, it's easy for you to get off on rabbit trails and start chasing things that aren't really important. Instead of doing that, Timothy, train yourself, exercise yourself, discipline yourself for what? Not to be a better preacher, not to do uh, more good things, but for godliness. To be and to become what God desires you to be. Discipline yourself for godliness. Work hard because you desire to experience life with God under God's rule. I, what Paul is saying here is, I want to know Jesus. Timothy, you want to know Jesus. You want your life to be transformed by Jesus. You want to live the way Jesus wants you to live. You want to be faithful to what Jesus has called you to be faithful to. It doesn't just happen. You don't just put your Bible under your pillow at night and lay on it and just think that God's going to transform you by osmosis and just getting it. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen, Timothy. Paul says, train yourself. That God is inviting Timothy and he has invited all of us to participate in his transformation of our lives. God has given us a means by which we experience his power and his presence in our lives. And if you look in the pages of scripture, what you will see are there is there are practices, or sometimes we call those disciplines, that help us, that are means that God in his grace has given us for us to experience transformation and experience his power and his presence in our lives. And so this morning, we are going to talk a little bit about what we call spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. As many of you know, we're really focusing on that this year in our teaching time here on Sunday morning, and but in also in our practices as a community, in our missional community groups, our, our discipleship groups, and individually, we are drilling down, we are focusing on what does it mean to practice the way of Jesus. And so this morning, we w- I want to just begin to lead us in that direction and just begin to talk a little bit about these spiritual disciplines, practices found in the Bible through which we are shaped by God in our whole person. Again, what we think, what we feel, the choices that we make in our bodies, with the people that are in our lives, and by which we can participate in life with God under God's rule. 
And so I want to hit three things with you this morning. The first is that spiritual disciplines require effort. The second, spiritual disciplines involve our actual body and our actual life. And spiritual disciplines, third, give us access to the power of God's spirit. Spiritual disciplines give us, the, give us access to the Holy Spirit's power. So let me look at this first one with you. Spiritual disciplines require effort. Whether you know it or not, whether you know what this thing is or not, we are all living in the shadow of something that is called the Protestant Reformation. Okay? You may, have, you may not know anything about that, and that's fine. But if you have grown up in a Protestant church, you have been influenced by this thing called the Protestant Reformation. Now, if you look in the pages of the New Testament and you pick up a book that's a history book of what is known as kind of the early church, the, the church, you know, after Jesus left this earth, those uh, 100, 200 years following that, you will see that the spiritual disciplines, these practices, were a vital part of life with God in the early church, in their relationship with God, and in their relationship with the community that they were a part of as followers of Jesus. But a few hundred years after Jesus left, we run into this thing of corporate Christianity. And the Emperor Constantine in Rome makes Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. And kind of the, the, the Catholic Church begins uh, its existence. And, and starting at that point for the next millennia, things kind of get weird in the church. These disciplines, these spiritual practices that the early church practiced to experience the power and the presence of God in their lives, to experience life with God under God's rule, were now being twisted into means to earn God's acceptance and the church's favor. I mean, you get weird things like that passage we just read in 1 Corinthians about Paul saying, I discipline my body. In some translations, it's I beat my body. I bring it into subjection. You have stories of people literally beating themselves with whips and, and sticks and, and hurting themselves. It became like a contest to see who could be the most masochistic in their devotion to God. And that was how people thought, if I do it, if I hurt myself enough, it will prove to God how serious I am. And if I give and I jump through all of these hoops, then the leaders of the church will approve of me. And the leaders of the church will accept me. And it became a very transactional way of thinking about our relationship with God. The Reformation reacted rightly against all this kind of foolishness. You had a guy named Martin Luther. You had a guy named John Huss. You know, these guys who kind of, who were part of this and said, no, 
this is, this is not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach that we are accepted by God, not based on all of the works that we try to do to get in good with God. We can never get in good with God on our own. They, being accepted by God, being in a relationship with God is by God's grace through faith in what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. It taught that grace and mercy is what made us right with God. And as Pastor Nate likes to say, the Reformation reformed our theology, but sadly, it didn't reform our practice. Because somewhere along the line, because of the emphasis of God's grace, we became skeptical of our works and of our effort. And that's why when we start talking about, hey, listen, you know, the spiritual disciplines require effort and they require work. We get queasy <laughs> and we start being like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, are you preaching works here? Are you telling us that we have to do all of these things to get right with God? And it's no, we're not saying that. There's an author, his name is Dallas Willard, and he is famous for saying that grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Grace is opposed to earning God's favor. But the Christian life is a life of one that is a, is a life in which God has called us to work. God has given us means by which we experience his power and his presence. God has called us to do good works for each other and for our community. That is part of being in relationship with him. And yes, those disciplines and those practices like reading our Bible and praying and gathering together and being generous and, and giving money, those things can become a burden. They can become things that just weigh us down if we are doing them for the wrong reason, if we are trying to do them to get in good with God, to make God bless us, or to make ourselves look good in the community that we are a part of. But hear what we see and what Paul is saying is that because of God's grace to me, I will do what it takes to be with him, to become like him, and to do what he did. It's not to earn his grace. It's not to earn his love. But because he loves me, because he has shown me grace, I want to follow him. And I want to do what it takes to know him, to be transformed by him, and to do the things and to live the life that he has called me to live. And this is hard. This is really hard for us. Our culture fights against it. Our, our own sin fights against it, and pulls us in the opposite direction. But these are practices or disciplines that can become channels to experience God's grace even more in our lives. So I just want to say at the beginning here that the spiritual disciplines require effort, and that's not opposed to God's grace and his mercy in our lives. The second thing is spiritual disciplines involve our actual bodies and our actual life. Somewhere we've gotten the wrong idea that the essence of our faith and our relationship to God is entirely a mental and an inward thing. And that's why even sometimes when we use the phrase spiritual, quote unquote, 
practices or disciplines. It can give the impression of some kind of disembodied life. That, we, that somehow this only involves like our, our spirit and our soul and has nothing to do with our actual body and our actual life. And that's why it's so hard for us to grasp what God is doing in our lives and what God wants to do in all of our lives, in every facet of who we are. Remember Dallas Willard? He, I want to read you uh, something from one of his books here. He says, The vitality and power of Christianity is lost when we fail to integrate our bodies into its practice by intelligent, conscious choice and steadfast intent. If it is with our bodies, listen to this, we receive the new life that comes as we enter his kingdom. It can't be any other way. If salvation is to affect our lives, it can do so only by affecting our bodies. If we are to participate in the reign of God, it can only be by our actions. And our actions are physical. We live only in the processes of our bodies. To withhold our bodies from religion is to exclude religion from our lives. There was an old heresy called docetism, which taught that our body and our flesh is evil but our spirit and our soul is good. And I think for a lot of us, that's the way we live our Christian lives. That this body is just a burden. That it's something to be ignored. That it's something to continually be pushed aside in favor of whatever we think of as spiritual, quote unquote, life. But listen to this. Your body is the focal point of your relationship with God. You interact with God in and through your body. That's why we've been talking about God shaping and forming us in our whole person. What we think, what we feel, the choices that we make in our bodies, with people in our lives. Discipleship to Jesus, following Jesus is something you do with your body. When Jesus called his disciples to follow him, it wasn't, hey, your body stay here and your spirit follow me. They followed him in the real physical sense. They lived with him. They ate with him. They listened to him. They laughed with him. They did ministry. They helped people. They preached with him. They were a part of Jesus's life, literally. And even though Jesus is not a physical person standing here today, God has called us to follow Jesus. The invitation to follow Jesus is just the same, that we follow him with all of who we are, our entire lives. And it involves our actual life. We've relegated life with God to special times and places and states of mind. You know, we say things like, hey, we need to take Jesus into the workplace or we need to take Jesus into the classroom. We, we, we talk of, and I've used this phrase, we're like, hey, we, we need to ask the spirit to show up. But when we say things like that, what we're doing is we're underscoring the belief that being a Christian is not part of our normal life. 
Jesus and the Spirit are already there in your workplace, there at your school, in your classroom. The Spirit is already here in this place because you are here and I am here. Being a Christian is not just for certain times and certain spaces and doing certain things. Being a Christian and following Jesus is all of who we are, all of our life, everything we do, everywhere we go, everything we say, every relationship that we are in. Now, if you open up the scriptures, you will not find a authorized list of these spiritual disciplines or practices. There's no list like, thus says the Lord, thou shalt do the following. But what you see in the scripture are things like Bible intake, you know, reading the Bible, you know, memorizing the Bible, studying the Bible, being with other people, listening to the Bible, being read and taught. Prayer. Gathering together like this for worship, proclaiming the gospel and making disciples, serving each other, like meeting real needs in this body and in this community that we live in, giving and being generous with our money and our resources that God has blessed us with. Things like fasting and silence and solitude and Sabbath. When you look at these practices, you'll see that some of them are personal practices. And I think when I say like spiritual discipline, that's probably what a lot of us think of, right? It's like me spending time each day by myself, reading my Bible, praying to God, uh, maybe journaling, you know, writing things down, you know, and that's part of it. But there are personal practices and disciplines. And then all of those things can also be done with other people. They're interpersonal as well. Gathering together for prayer. Gathering together to read and to talk about the scriptures. Gathering together to worship God. There are disciplines of abstinence, like where we are abstaining from certain things, like times where we fast, where we in our physical bodies are recognizing that as we feel hunger, we recognize our need and our hunger for God. There are, there are, you know, silence and solitude where we pull away from the noise of our culture, from the noise of all kinds of the different things that are pulling at us in our lives to be alone, to be by ourselves so we can hear from God, so, our, so we can be refreshed. There are times of Sabbath when we say, I'm not going to fill my schedule up with all of these things to do, but I'm just going to be, and I'm going to enjoy time with my family or time with friends. I'm going to spend time with God doing things that are refreshing to my body and to my spirit. And then there are disciplines and practices of engagement where we are serving, where we are doing justice in our community, where we are giving and being generous of those things, personal, interpersonal, abstinence, engagement. All of these practices bring us into a real physical participation with God's transformation of us and what God wants to do in the world around us. The spiritual disciplines involve our real bodies and our real lives. There are seasons of our lives where some of these practices need to be, seasons where, you know, you're wrestling with sin, 
where you're wrestling with just a particular thing that you are just, you know, whether it's lust or, 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 or gluttony or, or whatever, and you're like, man, I just can't. Maybe that season needs to be a season of fasting. Maybe that season needs to be a season of pulling away in some silence and solitude and be, just being with God. There are seasons of time and seasons of our lives where these disciplines can, can be necessary and other times where other disciplines are necessary. These are not something that happen. These are not things that we do in some disembodied world. They happen in our real bodies, in our real lives. And then lastly, spiritual disciplines give us access to the Spirit's power. I'm going to dive into this a little bit more next week. Um, Let's see. Malachi, will you come up here for a second? I'm not going to embarrass you, but I think I am going to embarrass you. You're a runner, right? What do you run? 5K. Okay. Did you just wake up one day and start running a 5K at the time that you're running it right now? What was involved to get you to be able to run the way that you run right now? Hard work. And what if you didn't practice? What if you didn't work hard? Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to do the the things that you're doing right now, right? You wouldn't be able to run the speed and the time that you're running right now, right? Okay, thanks. You know where I'm going with this, right? Take anything that we do, sports. You know, we have musicians up here every week that bless us with their musical ability. Same thing. They didn't just wake up one morning and be able to play like this. They're up here being able to play and sing because they've practiced, because they've spent time doing it. Learning a new language. Any of you who have a a second language that you speak, that took a ton of time and discipline and energy towards that language, to be able to speak that fluently. In any of these things, to succeed at the moment of crisis, and I'm not talking about crisis in the bad sense. I'm talking about it like when, you know, when the light turns on, when you're called to be able to use your running, to speak a different language, to play your instrument. Success and being able to do it at that moment is dependent on practice beforehand, being intentional in both mind and body to practice and to put yourself in a position over time so that at that moment you can do it. Practicing is a way of accessing power in our lives. We didn't just show up being able to do certain things. We put those into, we, we practiced, we worked hard over time. And now for many of us, we are able to access a power that we didn't previous, that we weren't previously accessing. And the same thing, spirit, any spiritual discipline is a practice that gives us access to the spirit's power, a power that is beyond our own capacity. A desire to be like Jesus in the moment will not happen when we live like everybody else the rest of our lives. When we are experiencing a time where we need to be patient and say, God, just make me patient. 
if we have never done the work of practicing being in his word, praying, spending time with other people to encourage us, to worship together, if we have ignored the spiritual disciplines in our lives, when we come to that time and we say, God, I need patience, we're putting God to the test. And that's not good. That's not good. And that's not what he desires for us, to inspect God, to infuse us with his grace, his mercy, and power at that moment is not what God desires for us. Instead, when we practice these disciplines faithfully over time, they help us tap into the power that is necessary for us to be like Jesus and to do what Jesus did. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that true transformation only happens when we come face to face with the resurrected Jesus in our lives. And that is not a one-time momentary thing. That is a life of over and over and over putting ourselves in the path of Jesus, putting ourselves in the path where we come face to face with him time and time and time again. You remember we used to wear those little bracelets, what would Jesus do? And the whole thing was you get to a decision or a crisis point or a hard thing, and you ask yourself in that moment, what would Jesus do? That's not helpful at all. Because I'm not going to be able to do what Jesus did if I just show up there and say, hey, what would Jesus do here? God's desire is for us to walk with him in the totality of our lives, not just in those specific moments where we feel like we need it. The disciplines help us live in a connected, in a continual connection with God's spirit, the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you and works through you. And when we're faced with a particularly trying season or a situation, we don't need a special infusion of power. But because we have committed ourselves to a lifestyle of practicing the way of Jesus, we live into those situations as Jesus would live because we have spent time with Jesus in every other area of our lives. The question that I want to ask you this morning is this. Do you believe that, li- that a life of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did is really possible for you? I'm serious. We've been talking about those things for two months being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus did. Do you really believe that that kind of life is possible for you? That it's not just something you say, that it's not just something you desire to be true, but that it could actually be true in your life. Do you really, really believe that? God in his love has offered us a means by which we can experience his grace and his power in our lives, in our day-to-day life. He has offered us a means by which we can truly live life with God under the rule of God. Not just when we feel like we need it, not just when we feel like life requires it of us, 
but day after day after day. I love what Paul said in 1 Timothy 4. We exercise, we train ourselves for godliness. We work hard, we practice the way of Jesus because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. If you're a Christian this morning, as you come to take the bread and to dip it into the juice. I want to encourage you to do it with the hope that because Jesus has transformed us through his work on the cross and because Jesus is coming back again to transform us and to transform this entire world into what God originally designed it to be, for the rest of eternity, that if you are frustrated right now in your life, that if you are discouraged as you look at your life and you say, I'm not who I want to be. I'm not who God wants me to be. I want you to come and with hope, take the bread, take the juice, and know that because of what Jesus did and what Jesus will do, that God can and will transform you here in the present. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fun all of the time. And God has invited you to participate with him in his transformation of you. But the hope we have is in the living God, that as we stand face to face with Jesus, that he will transform us. If you're not a Christian this morning, don't come and take this. This is not some magical thing. It's not something that to infuse you today with God's power or to make God bless you this week. This is a symbol of that hope that we have, that God is alive and that God has done and will do and is about the business of transforming. And if you have questions about that, if you desire that and you're just not sure what that means for you and what, what that looks like in your life. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to Pastor Nate, and we would love to share more about that with you. Let me pray. God, I recognize that when we talk about the spiritual disciplines, they can just seem kind of like hoops that we jump through. Well, i got to read my Bible so that God won't get mad at me, or i got to pray so that God will help me in this situation. And if I don't do that, I feel guilty because it's a burden. Lord, I thank you that in your grace, you have given us a way to know you, a way to experience your power and your transformation. And I pray that for those of us in this room who have never practiced these disciplines, who have never experienced that in their lives, I pray that this would be an encouragement, that it's not God just heaping burdens on them, but it's an invitation to come and to know you and to be transformed by you. And I pray for those of us in this room who have been doing this for a long time in our lives, and we wonder in different seasons, is this worth it, and is are other things just more valuable? I pray that we would be faithful that we would know that this is not about 
performing for you. But it's about living day to day to day in your power and in your presence. And I pray, God, that as you are transforming us, as we become people who practice the way of Jesus, that we would also become a community of people who, through which you transform this community that we live in. I pray that people would see our devotion to you as not being done out of drudgery, out of obligation, but people who love you and are responding to your love and your grace in their life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.